0: Hour number two, kick it off here in the White Claw Hard Seltzer Studios. Time out your White Claws perfectly during this game tonight. You could fall asleep with a nice little buzz and sleep through the night. Crack open your first one at 6.30, and by 8.45, you'll be ready for bed. White Claw Hard Seltzer, helping you watch boring SEC college basketball.
1: About last night, Sam, what did we miss? Thanks, John. You're welcome. We got the finish of the Daytona 500 uh, yesterday afternoon. William Byron took it home, the number 24 car of Hendrix Motorsports. 24? That's Jeff Gordon. 24. Um, yeah, Hendrix Motorsports snapped a nine-race Daytona 500 losing streak. Uh, the last Hendrix driver to win the Daytona 500, it was Dale Earnhardt Jr. in 2014. Uh reading this article you know i i'm not a big nascar guy william byron learned how to race off of computers basically he like never raced as a kid he was just like a simulation guy
0: it's like that grand theft auto crazy. movie you mean Gran turismo <laughs> yeah a, that's right a, a grand theft auto movie would be a lot different that yeah, would my be son. someone that it would be someone that learned how to shoot a gun and how to run away from <laughs> the cops and pick up prostitutes and and then putting that into into uh, effect cinema, I think, yeah. I think I'm,
2: sh- I'm sharing too much. That's uh, my son played a lot of GTA, oh, yeah. and I uh, I might have played a little, yeah, Gran Turismo.
0: They did make a movie about that precise thing, so I mean, I guess that's kind of cool. So it's real, like you just hop in these simulators, and instead of like putting you on a dirt track or putting you in something that could kill you, just here you go, learn how to do all this. How good are these simulators like can you actually it... learn how to do all this yeah like I... if you get in a flight simulator for long enough like would you feel confident to just go out and land a plane yeah i guess right like by being the, would you be able to would you feel confident being the main guy like not a co-pilot i mean like the main pilot
1: it definitely you definitely i feel like you get into the actual car or the plane and then you're like oh shoot like this isn't a remote anymore <laughs> it might
0: be the exact same though it might it be could the be. same exact buttons like i don't know the driving simulators i assume they can simulate you know the weight of the car and kind of the bumping and stuff i don't know but like the stakes obviously will seem higher if death <laughs> is actually you know at your window they did a uh, documentary on the
2: cw last year on it was kind of their version their f1 version of indycar and they talked about Tony Kanaan, and there was another driver whose name escapes me. But they, off season, that's they did these simulators. They have them in their houses. They go and they would compete against each other. Like one of the drivers, I think Canon had two of those systems together, and so they would actually compete against each other. So that's got to be pretty real. Well, it's
0: similar to what they actually put on ESPN, right? Like during during COVID, like they got. Kyle Larson canceled for saying oh, the right. Like they were driving yeah. the simulators, right? Yeah. I mean, that's.
1: I guess that is true.
0: Yeah. So I mean, I guess it is you know realistic enough where the drivers can go out there and compete and do stuff. Again, I don't, I don't know how it translates, but
1: I guess it translates. He won. <laughs> I guess they it translates. Said, they said he didn't
2: take the lead till like uh, the final four laps. Yeah. Yeah. There was he some, didn't uh, lead any of the race until then.
0: Just like Sea Biscuit, <laughs> just waited to <till> the ends. <laughs> wow. Eighteen to one odds. He cast. Yeah, and
2: we were talking about some of the names, and again, we're nobody in this room are NASCAR aficionados, but we were asking yesterday how many NASCAR racers you could name. Just looking at the top five. William Byron, I had not heard of him, Alex Bowman, heard a little of him, Christopher Bell, no. Corey LaJoy, I know of the family, and then Bubba Wallace, who Bubba finished fifth? Finished fifth. Good for Bubba.
0: You know the LaJoy family. Who's the family of? There
2: was a there was another driver. I don't know their oh, family. Okay. I'm just saying I've I've heard that name in racing before. Okay. So I'm assuming it's a uh, it's a unique last name. So I'm assuming it's you know a relative, whether it's a son or grandson or. One of the guys that uh, our boy Marcus from the Gi Jake show was high on was this uh, Anthony Alfredo who finished 27.
1: 27- <laughs>
0: The name. Is, is there a chance that that he just liked the last name Alfredo? <laughs>
1: he should just start with a cheaty Alfredo. <laughs> yeah, or,
0: yeah. Is, is there a chance that he just liked either the name Tony or Tony Alfredo is a pretty cool name? So like I I don't know if Marcus was being sincere in his pick or if he just thought it was a cool name. I also saw the boys were on Virginia Moneyline last night. They were. They lost by how many? Thirty. Thirty plus. Thirty-three. Yeah. I told you, the system play, Bob, whenever those ranked teams are underdogs on the road, (laughs) doesn't go well for them, typically. No, no. (laughs) It did not go well for Tony Bennett and the Who's. The Who's. (sighs) I didn't watch the second of the Daytona 500. Yeah.
2: I watched it from eight laps because when I turned it on, they were in a delay, getting ready to finish the final eight laps, and then there was another wreck on the white flag lap just not it's uh, and i know there's a lot of people who love nascar i just can't get into it it's hard
1: yeah same 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 uh in the nba we got a coaches firing uh brooklyn nets have gone ahead and fired uh their head coach jock vaughn after starting 21 and 33 good for 11th in the east right now that is coming after Their 50-point loss to Boston going into the All-Star break. Uh, Yeah, it's been a a tough go for him uh, at the Nets. 64-65 and record in his 129 games as the coach. Was promoted after they parted ways with Steve Nash in 2022. Uh, But, yeah, the Nets will be searching for a new head coach after this one.
0: I don't think we give the Brooklyn Nets enough credit for how bad of a franchise they've been in the last 20 years. Like, since the back-to-back finals where they were boring and, you know, got swept and dominated in those finals by the Lakers and Spurs, maybe they won one of those games against the Spurs or something, or I don't think I remember them ever winning, but either way, like, I don't think we give them enough credit for how bad they've been the last 20 years and how boring they've been. Now they're stuck in a bad spot of, like, they got McCall Bridges, who is probably a solid role player at best, but they're trying to build around him as if he's a star and when you when you have that you have multiple 50 point losses and and you fire your coach again and you you look around and you don't really have any direction
2: what happened to that they used to
0: have that russian owner big money guy russian mark cuban he came here he was like hey we're gonna win a championship within five years this is, you know, I'm going to make them the premier team of New York, blah, blah, blah. And then he empowered his front office to trade all their assets for old Kevin Garnett and old Paul Pierce and Joe Johnson. And, you know, ended up giving Boston the number three pick, I believe, out of that trade. And then he's like, you know what, this isn't very fun. I'm, I'm actually selling the team. I'm good. <laughs> this was a bad idea. Yeah, he was, uh, he was hot for like a year and then. I want to say he also got caught up in a little bit of scandal. It's like, you know what, I'm just going to sell and move on. I spent like one afternoon just in college just reading so much about this guy. I was like, oh, he's so cool. And then never became a thing. It never became a
1: thing. I never heard of Russian Mark Cuban.
0: Yeah, yeah, because he was just brash. I mean, this was back when Mark Cuban was always fighting the NBA and, and doing things like that. But, yeah, he – what was his name? Petrov? Is that his name? Nikola so, Petrov, maybe? Something it does sound familiar. Uh Kevin something, Ollie, I though, that's worry. a blast from the past.
2: We yeah. haven't heard of him since he uh got run out of UConn. And it was funny because when once he won that title at UConn, there was a lot of NBA interest in him. Prokoro.
0: Not Petrov. Pope Pro- Procolo Prokoro.
2: Um so now Ollie gets a chance to be an NBA head coach about 10 years later.
0: But Kevin Ollie's the coach there now? Yeah, he's the interim. He's in. the interim. Oh, just pack it up, Brooklyn. Just pack <laughs> it up. Move back to New Jersey. Move them to Las Vegas. There's no reason for a team to be in Brooklyn. I know it was cool at first. Like, oh, wow, look at Jay-Z. Jay-Z's a part owner, and he brought Brooklyn a basketball team. Just keep them. No one cares. Even Jay-Z wants to go to the Knicks games instead. There's nothing, all the way down to like their uniforms are just boring, you know. I, I did kind of like the Brooklyn chants, you know, like you know Brooklyn, Brooklyn. That sounded kind of cool actually. When the crowd did that, you know, paying homage to to Jay Z and and Biggie. The the uniforms they had that had like the the coochie sweater, like the you know the the. The, the color scheme i thought those were kind of cool
2: like a, it was like an alt uniform right? yeah yeah,
0: yeah. I, I thought those were kind of cool but outside of that yeah they've been a very bad franchise darren williams paul pierce call bridges ben
2: simmons ben simmons is what i was thinking about they got a they got a i think they're at a fork
0: in the road with him too he's got a big contract that's He'll be, a, he'll be a trade fodder next year because yeah. he'll be worth $40 million on an expiring contract. So, they'll try to go out and get somebody. They got a bunch of draft picks from trading Kevin Durant. So, I mean, like they do have some assets to maybe try to trade for somebody, but they just seem rudderless. And they were so close to winning a championship. At least they probably feel that way. For a little bit, they had James Harden, Kyrie Irving, and Kevin Durant. And they didn't even make it to the conference finals.
1: Just for a little bit
0: just for a little bit just for a little bit <laughs> any other headlines
1: uh Arizona head coach Tommy Lloyd got an extension through 2028 and 2029 um that's a guy that has taken over in his third year now at Arizona replaced Sean Miller um has taken it on by storm i mean he's 61 wins in his first two seasons it was the most by any head coach in division 1 history it's a guy that's been you know had known for his time kind of at Gonzaga as an assistant coach under Mark Few and was really one of their lead recruiters in terms of getting a lot of those talented international prospects has gone over to arizona and has seamlessly transitioned there and has built a great program so he gets extended through 2029
0: it's crazy to me that he has gotten them better than where like miller had them just like when tommy lloyd got hired i mean he was where, where did he come from like what was gonzaga yeah yeah, But just as, like, as an assistant, right? Like, yeah, I mean, he was, obviously, just, he was like, their
1: assistant coach for like 20 years. Yeah,
0: but just as an assistant, like, you know, Miller was a, a coach hire that was met with a lot of fanfare, and he was going to go there and do great things, and, yeah, like, you can easily make the argument that that Lloyd and Arizona in a much better position right now than Gonzaga and Mark Few.
1: Yeah, I think, I think him leaving is also a reason why Gonzaga's taken a little bit of a downturn in the last couple of years as well.
0: Well, yeah, they had a nice run of getting, like, really big five-stars and really talented players, and it doesn't seem like they have any of that on Gonzaga's team now. Mark Few, a fraud, question mark.
1: (laughs) If I could pick, like, one coach to replace Barnes, that's my – Tommy Lloyd's my pick.
0: Okay. Problem is, you're not going to be able to big boy Arizona.
1: Yeah, I know.
0: Yeah. So, you think Tommy Lloyd is a top-five coach in the country? Oh, yeah.
1: Yeah, I think he's – Easily top five.
0: I mean it's hard to argue with right now. You know, I didn't realize that he had been at Gonzaga for that long and that like his departure does kind of like directly coincide with them kind of falling apart.
1: Interesting. Anything else? Uh Gina Oriema past Coach K. Boo. Yeah. Yeah, I figured we wouldn't want to talk about that one boo. too much, but it is significant. Is
0: it sexist for me to not give respect to
1: men coaches <laughs> coaching in women's, coach. women's basketball?
0: <laughs> I, it feels a little sexist, and I can't quite put my finger on it, but boo! <laughs> Bob, you... is it sexist
2: to say? I don't know. I'm I'm just wondering if some of it is, at least from my perspective, it's two, for me, unlikable people. You know, Gino Pass and Coach K not a fan of either so you got beef with coach k you just some of the stories i've heard his his uh lack of accessibility you had to have a biometric uh he had to have biometric access to come see him in his office at duke like what is, what is biometric thumbprint i to, oh. to have a thumbprint uh <laughs> credential to get in to see him you know just it's this it just feels a little too big time for a college coach.
0: The Dylan Brooks stuff was really cringy. Although maybe yeah. Coach K ends up being on the right side of history there because Dylan Brooks ended up becoming a real jerk. And, uh, you know, maybe Coach K was trying to stop him from becoming that villain. Just be like, look, bro, just play ball. <laughs> Give it up. Yeah, you don't want to be this guy. <laughs> just, you're good. Play ball. Maybe Coach K was trying to help him. But between that and, am I misremembering, or did he go off on like a student reporter as well, like at a press conference? Wasn't there something there with Coach K and a student reporter? Uh, you, I think you're right. Yeah
2: and that? and remember his tribute his tribute at cameron he i think he yelled at the fans to you know
1: or maybe that's what it was. stop it
2: you know he was he was because they were chanting for him and everything else i mean he's just i don't know man yeah obviously a great coach was a great coach but i just there was a lot of things that i felt were unlikable about the dude so when Gino passes him it's like okay that's you know it's a milestone i get it but um so now the top two winningest coaches in all the basketball are what him and vanderveer
0: mm-hmm.
2: tara vanderveer
0: so yeah i guess coach k snapped at a student journalist after they lost a game to louisville and and the student journalist asked them about basically what your next step forward is and he got mad like let's just talk about the game and how would you like it after you, you know, take a test if it was really tough? If someone asked you about the test, or I, I don't really know. I don't know exactly what he said, but people were mad at Coach K about it. <laughs> but yeah, he then called and apologized, according to the reporter. But I, I, I thought I remembered something there. I do think Coach K is a jerk too, but it'd be funny if
1: Rick Barnes was just like berating Tucker Harlan after a game. <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right, now Tucker, what you're gonna do is. Yeah, Yeah. Talk to Will Warren, preview Missouri, but also the rest of the season, because I don't know how much we actually care about this Missouri matchup. We'll find out how dangerous they are after the break. Stats by Will, coming up, it's the morning show on Fan Run Radio. Ever been the... All right, let's go to the phone lines. Let's talk to Stats by Will, the Kevin Bacon of Knoxville Media. Will Warren, good morning to you, my friend. Good morning. That's that's a very honorable uh, intro. The Kevin Bacon of Knoxville Media. How dangerous is this Missouri team to Tennessee tonight?
3: Well, I think Missouri might be more dangerous to themselves than to others. Uh, They you know, they're 0-12. I, I do think, you know, people, you know, look at 0-12 and, and they're like, okay, well, they're probably on winless. win list, but you got to have a lot of bad luck to go 0-18 in pretty much any league. I mean, like, tw- I thought that a uh, Tom Crean Georgia team was worse than the Vandy team that went defeated, but the defeated Vandy team was quite unlucky. So, uh, I still think Missouri's capable of a win somewhere, but the things that gave Tennessee trouble last year don't really show up here. Like, you know, Kobe Brown isn't walking through that door. You're not going to have the transition-heavy game you're used to. It's kind of like all the flaws of last year's Missouri team without nearly as many of the highs. Is it almost like they
2: Missouri did a little deal with the devil last year, you know, and got everything right, and to your point with, you know, Kobe Brown moving on and – um. You mentioned in your uh, your scout of this game, Des Demoy Hodge, um, a name I had already forgotten about. But um, it feels like this year it's all come crashing
3: down. Yeah, no, I I don't think that uh, they they don't really have the guys. You know, the portal strategy. I, I think the way Tennessee does it is probably more sustainable than the way Mizzou does it. Where you know, yeah, you've got your recruits, you got your returners, but Tennessee's generally only looking to fill a couple of spots a year through the portal, whereas Missouri pretty much remade their whole roster. And you're hoping those up transfers hit like they did last year, but as I'm in the case, you know, you it's kind of hard to pinpoint the ones that have worked. Like Tamar Bates from Indiana has worked out just fine, but a lot of the other guys haven't. And I think that can be part of the danger of taking transfers from lower leagues. It, It is hard to project that production to the SEC versus Bates, who, you know, played his basketball in the Big Ten for two years. A little easier to see how his athleticism could translate league to league. But, I mean, they've also dealt with injuries, like Caleb Grill, who came over from Iowa State, hasn't played since December. They've had a freshman who's been out for two weeks. Our boy, Connor Vanover, one of my favorite players of all time. Uh, A True, we're going to call Zach Eady a circus freak. Vanover probably belongs in the field, too uh, he hasn't been playing lately. So they, they dealt with some injuries. They've been a little unlucky, but you know, it, it really is to me as simple as last year, you nailed all those up transfers this year. You've really only had one go your way.
0: It's sad reading Dennis Gates, his little excerpt here on Google. It took just one season for a Witten family, men's basketball coach, Dennis Gates to make an impression at Missouri, which by the way, the Witten family men's basketball coach, it's i I'm glad Tennessee hasn't really adopted that naming the coach and, and selling off the rights there. Now in his second season with the Tigers, Gates aims to take the next step as Mizzou competes for titles, competes for titles as they are eight and 17 and <laughs> winless in the SEC. The only title they have competed for will is the title of the worst team in the SEC.
3: They can compete with uh, the Bryce Drew Vandy team for the vote. They've got a shot.
0: <laughs> it does feel like you have to fire your coach if he goes winless in the conference, right? Like it does feel like you can't bring him back if he if he goes and runs the table and loses every game. You have to fire him, even if it is his second year.
3: Well, normally, yeah, but I feel like he built up so much goodwill with that you know, Brady-Hoke horseshoe season last year where they won every single close game that it's probably glossing over the fact that team was not all that good in the first place. So uh, I I think you look at that, and they're not going to fire him. And I learned the other day that Dennis Gates, you're going to want to hear this, has a $25 million buyout from this AD (laughs) who just left. Uh, uh, so I, I don't think he's going anywhere anytime soon, but definitely a little more wobbly than it appeared last year.
0: How did that AD get poached and hired by Arizona, right? How how did she get hired by Arizona after giving Dennis Gates a, a $25 million buyout? Well, very simple. She's an Arizona alum. Oh, well, so that's okay. what, that's how,
3: that's how you can convince some people. I'm coming home, coming home. Um. <laughs>
2: So I'm looking at this team. We were talking about it a little bit earlier. Um, the guys that contribute most, you mentioned Tamar Bates, Sean East, Nick Honor. Um, it's, it's all guards. And so is this a night where if you're, if you're game planning for Tennessee, would, would it just make sense? It's going to be let, let Jonas eat right i mean wouldn't you think
3: well yeah and with their centers you know vanover's basically the only guy who doesn't foul like a machine that and it's it's a strange team whereas you know last year's team was fairly short like they were undersized they're very athletic you remember you know playing both of those games just how fast that missouri team was yeah this year's team is kind of just short so you've you got that At the at one through four, at five they do have three different seven footers. They cycle through. I would charitably say none of them are any good. So, you you got a starter at center, Jordan Butler, seven point seven fouls per forty. His backup, uh, seven foot two guy, five fouls per forty. Backup's backup Vanover only two point six fouls per forty because he can't stay in front of anybody because he's seven foot five. So. They just—they have no real way of stopping drives to the rim sustainably. I think this could be a huge Adu game. It could be a huge Awaka game too, especially on the boards, given how bad Missouri is at defensive rebounding.
0: Whenever you watch, do you also go waka
1: waka waka
0: waka waka every time he gets a rebound? Because I do. I, I'll adopt it. I'll give it a shot. It's like the Pac-Man sound. I mean, he's gobbling up the rebounds. Like, you know, the Pac-Man, you you gobble up the little pellets.
1: Waka, waka, waka,
0: waka, waka. Statsbywill.substack.com. Go subscribe. Get smarter about college basketball. Get smarter about Tennessee basketball. Will, if Missouri does win this game tonight, it's because of what?
3: Well, (laughs) Tennessee's had to have had a massive collapse somewhere, but... The, the way I think they can hang in there, they, they do have some decent three-point shooters out and about. You know, East has had a good season from deep honors, been well. Bates has been well. If all three of those guys are hitting, I think this can be a competitive game. But it's probably going to take all three, or it's going to take a real disaster shooting mm-hmm. night from Tennessee. And even then, this Missouri team is so bad at rebounding. Tennessee might just accumulate so many more shots than Missouri that it might not matter.
0: Yeah, I saw your prediction is that, you know, basically everybody on the team gets an offensive rebound or everybody in the starting five gets an offensive rebound tonight. So Tennessee's going to have a big advantage there.
3: Yeah, huge advantage. I mean, this is the, – the way Missouri plays defense, they play this. they rotate between man-to-man, which truly sucks, and uh, 1-3-1 zone, which you really don't see much anymore. But it's a hyper-aggressive one where they – I've watched a lot of their possessions. They end up with one guy – at the, you know, rebounding versus, like, two or three on the offensive end. So, the you know, their whole thing is if they can force turnovers, they're in business. If they can't force turnovers, they're going to get ran off the court.
0: This past weekend, Tennessee caught some breaks. Auburn lays an egg at home against Kentucky. South Carolina blows a 16-point lead to LSU. It feels a little bit now, like, or it feels almost a certainty now, that it's only a two-team race for the conference championship. How do you feel? What level of confident are you that Tennessee can catch Alabama or does catch Alabama here down the stretch?
3: I feel all right about it. The uh, the thing with you know the projections, they're going to have most places you look are going to have Tennessee going four and two the rest of the way, with you know them probably finding a loss among Auburn, South Carolina, Kentucky. But uh, I I don't feel like that's probably going to be the case Tennessee you know the one home game they've lost all year was a catastrophic shooting performance that you're not likely to repeat and otherwise Tennessee's been nails at home and the road performances have honestly been pretty good for the most part like yeah you had the A&M stinker but every other road or neutral loss has been fine like an explicable loss so uh, I think if you can take those five that aren't Alabama if you lose the Alabama game, it is what it is, because you still went one and one in the season series with them. If you can finish fourteen and four, it's going to go down to tiebreakers, and you look at the tiebreakers, Tennessee's going to be in business. Like Tennessee will have gone one and zero against Auburn in that scenario. Tennessee would have more wins against, you know, Kentucky. I believe in that scenario.
0: Yeah, they'd be two and zero against Kentucky. They'd be one and zero against Florida. And those are the teams that are likely to be right there behind you at number three. So you feel confident that Alabama's gonna drop at least two down the stretch here? I think they drop two. It's just
3: it's a really brutal schedule they've got coming up with, you know, not only Tennessee at home, but you got, you know, Road Kentucky on Saturday, Road Florida near the end of the season. Road Ole Miss is not an easy one either. That's gonna be a that's gonna be a big one for Chris Beard to sort of cement the uh, get me out of here resume. So <laughs> I, uh, I I think they've got a couple more coming. That defense I still don't trust either. So, uh, I think Tennessee's very capable of catching them, but it's probably going to come down to tiebreakers. But, you know, if you raise a banner, you don't think about tiebreakers. You have the banner. So, get and the 14 wins.
0: Yeah, and being the one seed in the SEC tournament, we could do the, the reverse of 2018 where, you know, we, we split with Auburn and we're happy about that, but we can – Say, so, hey, the tiebreaker's matter this time. We're the actual SEC champions. It's crazy yeah. how quickly that Alabama perception shifted with their schedule, because I remember looking at it two weeks ago and thinking they had it easy down the stretch. But all of a sudden, Florida keeps winning, Florida looks really good, and Kentucky wakes up, and now that seems like a pretty tough final you know, five games for them.
3: Yeah, I mean, they've got a very tough schedule remaining. You know, it's, it is funny that Arkansas has turned out the way they have you figure like early in the season Arkansas would have been the tough one to end your schedule with but if they their whole thing is if they can go four and one in the next five they're going to be the SEC champions but it's just going to be very hard to come out of that stretch with fewer than two losses I mean we we all trust their offense we all think it's amazing obviously but I don't even know Alabama fans that seem to really trust they could string together stops very long. And when you have as many good offenses remaining on that schedule as they do, that's tough to deal with.
2: I have a two-part question for you, Will. And mm-hmm. the first part of it is uh, it sounds like at Auburn, Jalen Williams is out maybe a couple of weeks, um, optimistically speaking. Their schedule still – they have five games left. Their schedule's still pretty favorable. Um, how we feel about Auburn at this point in terms of their ability to still challenge for the conference title I, I feel like I've uh, I'm, I'm shading that a little bit but then also Kentucky based on what you saw Saturday night um, was that just a, a moment of uh, revelation for them we've seen Cal turn things around quickly is this we were, we were talking about this yesterday you know is this a team that uh, Tennessee's chances for that conference title, you know, say they do beat Alabama, et cetera, that it still comes down to that final game against Kentucky. Not so much that Kentucky would have a shot to win the conference title, but that they could, you know, get right at this point and start really spoiling, spoiling teams' progress. We've seen it before. Uh, love your thoughts on both of those.
3: Well, I think on the Kentucky side of things, you know, they, they're capable of getting stuff together. But I, I think Gary Parrish actually did a, of all people, Gary Parrish did a great job of pointing this out uh, yesterday, where they're like, "Oh, if Kentucky can play defense like that two games in a row, they're making the final four. You could say that about literally any team in America at any time. They had two good games. so uh, and it really helps, you know, of their last three games, opponents have shot twenty one percent from three. probably not going to hold that for much longer. So, Uh, I look at them, and I kind of fade here a little bit. Like, I don't think they can take Tennessee at Tennessee, but I think they've got some tough road games coming up. Like, LSU is not a gimme anymore. Home Alabama is going to be tough for them. Rhodes, Mississippi State is going to be tough for them. So I wouldn't be shocked at all to see Kentucky finish outside of the double buys in the SEC. So I don't know that they're going to hang in there. Auburn, meanwhile, I think it is just, They've probably got four wins, more or less locked in, and then the swing game is that Tennessee game. If they win it, they're in the title race. If they don't, they're
0: out. Do you think LSU and Florida both have the right coaches because it feels like both those programs are trending in the right direction quickly for both of them as well?
3: Florida, yes. I feel good about Florida. I think it it took them a while to get things rolling this year, but they finally look like a future Sweet 16 team. LSU, I really don't know, man. I thought they'd be better this year, and they're trending up. You know, beating South Carolina is good. They beat A&M earlier in the season, have a couple other good wins, but it's year two for Matt McMahon, fellow Oak Ridge boy, and I just don't see, like, I don't see what the positives are, like, in the future because a lot of the best players he's got right now are seniors who are
0: graduating, yeah, maybe maybe maybe, maybe you're right there. To me, I guess I just thought they looked well coached and play hard. But you're right. Maybe maybe saying that they're turning in the right direction is not right.
3: They're they're better. Don't get me wrong, but I I don't know that he's going to be a long term fit.
0: Where do you think Vanderbilt ends up going after firing Jerry Stackhouse? Are there any names out there circulating?
3: There's a few I've heard. I mean, I won't I don't feel like any of this is original reporting, so I won't hide behind it. But it seems like Chris Mack is going to be an option. Uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised to see him. The uh, Takeo Siddle, who is the UNC Wilmington head coach, is going to be an option. And then, obviously, I think the one people are always going to think about for this because of the proximity, Casey Alexander at Belmont. Belmont's not had the best season, but I, I think it would be an instant coaching on-the-floor upgrade if you took him and uh, replaced Stackhouse. But uh, I definitely think like their big swing for the feds has to be Chris Mack.
0: What about Memphis? Penny Hardaway going to survive at Memphis in your opinion? That seems what
3: I've heard it seems like he's a year away yeah. from being in serious trouble. I, I I would be kind of shocked that I was pondering this yesterday if he would make a move for an NBA assistant job just to get out and reset the clock, but he kind of seems like the guy a type of guy who's willing to go down with the ship.
0: Yeah, the more he talks, the more likely I think they might just mutually part ways though because his quotes last night were A little strange. I don't know if you saw him, but, I mean, he he was kind of doubling down and said, I put us in position to win every single night. I can't get out on the court and play as well. And I'm like, I don't know if you can say you're putting yourself (laughs) in position to win every night when you get beat by 30. Like, okay, relax a little bit. And saying that when he got this job, he knew he was just going to be a target. I get a lot of negativity. We win 10 games and lose one. It's going to be the worst loss in the whole world if I lose that one, though. So, like – it seems like he's buckling, so like you said, maybe getting back to the NBA and being an assistant coach makes sense for both him and Jerry Stackhouse. Statsbywill.substack.com, Statsbywill on X. I look forward to like getting back to like Tennessee basketball next week. It's kind of boring right now. There's not much you can give us about Missouri that's going to make me think Missouri can beat Tennessee tonight because, like you said, if Tennessee loses, something has gone drastically wrong. But next week, next week we get into the stretch run here as you start trying to chase championships, and I look forward to talking to you, Will.
3: Yes, can't wait. Next week is the marquee week of the season, I would say.
0: It's like you in Tremors or, you know, Hollow Man or some other Kevin Bacon type of movies. I'll workshop this before next (laughs) week. I'll, I'll have some better Kevin Bacon comparisons. Will, appreciate you. Talk to you next week. Thanks for having me on. Stats by Will. As good as it gets when it comes to college basketball. Did you see in his uh,
2: games, <laughs> game scout for the location, he had the Kim English Emporium. That's what
0: he called uh, the venue for the game. I thought that was great. I'm going to be honest, uh, I didn't bother to read the Missouri preview because Missouri's 8-17 and 17 and winless in the SEC. Yeah. I'm glad that you are supporting, though, and I'm glad you're – I scroll, I scroll, but I don't have time for Will's wit when it comes to A, when I'm on the show, but B, just about Missouri. I'm I'm good. I don't need a breakdown to tell me they suck. But next week, next week I'm going to be locked in fully, you know, about how we match up with Auburn and South Carolina and then, of course, Kentucky and Alabama and all of that. I guess I got that order wrong a little bit, but you know what I mean. Auburn, Alabama, South Carolina. Kentucky yes yeah I I was thinking about
2: their you know we, we talked about Dennis Gates I was thinking about Missouri's co- coaching lineage Yeah, know look like maybe they got it right with Gates but maybe not but you think about who was before you had Conzo before that you had Kim Anderson it's been rough sledding for that program that used to be like a prestige program way back when where's Frank Haith when you need him where's he at the uh the tele coach is what I called him. He always dressed like he was uh, – he's still at Tulsa. He knew what was, He knew something was up. He actually left for a lesser job. Yeah,
0: that that was resetting the clock and, and you know, finding yourself some job security. That was coaching 101 there. He looked around at Missouri and said, 23-12, and 12, missed the tournament. Ah, I'm out of here. <laughs> See you, bye. And then, yeah, now he's been at Tulsa for like, what, eight years? Yeah. Smart move. Smart move by him. Sam, send us a break. It's the morning show on Fan Run Radio. A brand. (laughs) Dr. Stephen Malone at Knoxville Smiles, he and his staff take pride in listening to and communicating with their patients to help you the patient make the best decision about their dental health. From routine dental cleanings to teeth removal, restorative procedures such as fillings, crowns and bridges, Invisalign, veneers, implants, they can do it all at Knoxville Smiles. You can contact them today At 865-539-1776. That's 865-539-1776 to set up an appointment. And you could take a virtual tour of their state-of-the-art West Knoxville facility at knoxvillesmiles.com. knoxvillesmiles.com. I just don't understand why Memphis wouldn't move on from Penny Hardaway. What is the purpose of not moving on? Do you just not want to admit defeat? Is it just a bad relationship? Is it your dream partner that you thought you could make it work with and now you're just not willing to to admit that it doesn't because you don't want to have to deal with what comes next? I don't get it because nothing about Penny Hardaway's tenure at Memphis has really screamed success, right? They've made two tournaments. I don't think they've won a game. I know they lost last year in the first round. Did they they win a game in 2022? I'm pretty sure they lost in the first round there, too. It's not like there's any success to really point to. He hasn't finished the season ranked yet. I don't understand what they're holding on to. Especially now, It, it feels like Memphis is in a really bad spot as a program. Like Vanderbilt is similar, but Vanderbilt at least has the SEC to, to maybe prop themselves up a little bit. And, like, if you can get back to just being a, a middle-of-the-pack SEC team, you might be a tournament team. In the AAC, that's different. Like, you're, you're in a conference that's dying. No one kind of wants you. You have to kind of go back to being just the kind of premier independent program of the South. And I know, like, not independent, but, like, that's kind of the vibe they have to be on. Kind of like you think of Gonzaga as an independent because their conference doesn't prop them up at all, really. Like, Memphis has to be that. They have to be that version in the South. And, like, they seem to be a really long ways away from doing that. You look at just
2: within the conference that they're in, some of the teams that have done much more. With with less prestige, um, less pull, I guess you would call it. With you know an ex NBA great um, coaching them, um, Florida Atlantic, South Florida now is one of the real sexy teams in
0: college basketball just because of the job that their coach is doing there. South Florida's in a good spot with their football program too. They're, yeah, they're they're kind of set to be that main mid-major slash group five team.
2: Yeah, I was just looking at uh, Penny's Memphis tenure. You know, he won the NIT in 2021. Woo! Yeah, um, That was going to catapult them to greatness the next season. They came in preseason rank number 12. Yeah, and they, it looks like they won one tournament game in 21-22 and then last year we, we talked about that yesterday, how they, they had that meltdown against Florida Atlantic to lose that game. Um, I just... I don't see it. I I, no, I don't I don't think I've ever seen it. That's what really all I've ever seen with Penny was a guy who kind of ran as it, I hate to say it, man, there's a lot of through lines with what I see with Coach Prime over at Colorado. More of a CEO of the program that kind of runs it and recruits well, um, but then never really converts in terms of success on the court. Um, and we're seeing it. It's like the sign of a good coach would be how do you get out of this tailspin they've had you know again they're 3 i think 3 and 6 or 3 and 7 in their last 9 or 10 games they they have enough talent they're not in a power conference and they're they're losing meaningful conference games and losing them in some instances like sunday they're getting blown out so and they're favored
0: in all these games too yeah, yeah which, exactly which i guess that's that that was unfair of me they did beat boise state in the tournament in 2022 and then they Kind of blew that Gonzaga game. They should have beaten Gonzaga in the second round. They, they kind of choked that right. game away. Like yeah. They they had a chance to make a deep run that year. Fell apart, lost that game, blew a lead. And then, of course, we know last year gagged a, gagged a chance to, to knock out FAU in the first round of the tournament last year. But the Coach Prom stuff is interesting. You know, both former great players. Now, Coach Prom's career, Deion Sanders – he had a much better playing career than Penny Hardaway. Like, you know, when you look at longevity and and standing and, you know, the way people look up to them. But Penny Hardaway was really good for a stretch and really popular for a stretch. Now, when you look at their coaching careers, I, I don't know if I've ever looked at Penny Hardaway and maybe it's just the disdain I have for Memphis and their fans and that program. But, like, I understand the appeal of Deion Sanders. When I look at Deion Sanders, I see Charisma. That's how it's been my entire life, you know, from him being a cowboy and high stepping into the end zone when I'm five or six years old, thinking that's the coolest thing ever to learning more about his time at Florida state and the gold chains and the, the rap songs. And then of course, you know, just hearing him on TV and watching him speak. I get it. Deion Sanders has oozed charisma his entire life. I don't ever get that feeling with penny hardaway when i think of penny hardaway and i think of his charisma i think of his little doll i think of little penny (laughs) i know that's the second little penny shout out we've had on the show the last couple episodes but still it's true like that that's how boring penny hardaway kind of was was they made a doll to do the talking for him i mean he's
2: not even i'm just looking at the aac he's not even it's it's debatable if he's even in the top five of coaches in that conference because again, we talked about South Florida. Amir Abdurrahim Rahim is a, h- a hot commodity. Probably won't be there very long. Um, Florida Atlantic, Dusty May, we know is another hot commodity. SMU, Rob Lanier showing he can coach. Uh, did it at Georgia State. Is succeeding at SMU. Andy, uh, Andy Kennedy's at UAB. Great coach. Um, it's debatable. You know, all those guys I feel are doing a far better job of coaching than, than Penny is. And that's, you know, again, that's not even in a power conference. So it's interesting what you said about the prospect of Memphis becoming kind of, uh, kind of a Southern independent.
0: Well, they, they need, I mean, that's kind of what they felt like with Cal Parry. I mean, I know they had a couple of big games in the year or whatever, but like they were expected to basically run through their conference by losing maybe one game. Kind of in the same way Gonzaga was. Now you, you know you mentioned some of those coaches and some of those programs are are solid and cute, but like Sam, can do you know? Can you pull up a bracketology and see how many teams are supposed to have in the tournament this year? Because it feels like a two or three bid league at best, and like in a given year, that seems to kind of be. I don't want to say they're ceiling, but like their expectation is like, hey, we're gonna put three teams in the tournament.
2: Yeah, they have two is what two right, right now. Yeah, that's what Lenardi has, yeah. So
0: FAU and Probably South Florida. Okay. So Memphis is on the wrong side right now as they keep losing? Yeah. Yeah. Memphis is uh
2: yeah, Memphis is next four out with Lenardi. So yeah, so not, they're not yeah. even close. And, and when you look at that well.
0: when you look at that conference, look at that schedule, there's not there's not enough quality left on it to, to get yourself back on the right side. So you know, I hope Memphis keeps Penny Hardaway because I kind of like the show and, like, the more he loses, yeah. the more he talks. And, like, it is it is entertaining. But if I'm just them and, and you do think of yourself as a, as a program that matters. You know, I don't know where they rank themselves realistically in terms of best programs in college basketball or whatever. But at the very least, I know they consider themselves a program that matters. They do have some prestige. They do have... The Penny Hardaway years, the Derrick Rose years. I mean the I don't remember if the Tyreek Evans year ended with anything successful or whatever, but they, they want to be good. They play in an NBA arena. They they have money, especially compared to their peers. Like it's just crazy to me that they're just gonna let Penny Hardaway just keep losing, hoping that he can eventually turn into Jim Harbaugh and, and start winning, but like it doesn't seem like that's realistic at this point.
2: I mean, he sure has recruited. God, he's had some talent come through there. I mean, they they think back to that about four years ago. I was looking at who he had coming in with Weissman, DJ Jeffries and others. It was like, man, they're they're gonna be a force.
0: It was a top three class, right? I mean, yeah. I don't know if it was number one or not, but it was a top three class. Yep. And he you know, it's a little unfair, you know, James Wiseman only played two games or whatever, but what I've seen with James Wiseman in the NBA, James Wiseman wasn't gonna be a difference maker as a freshman in college. It wasn't, it wasn't like he was the difference between Penny like going to the Sweet 16 or Final Four. That wasn't going to happen. And then, of course, COVID. That was the COVID shortened season anyways, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, that would have gotten derailed anyways. Yeah, they said uh, that that year he had the number one okay.
2: recruiting class in the country because Wiseman had so much hype around him at that point.
0: Well, I remember he kept beating Coach Cal for everybody. Like, yeah. he, he was beating Coach Cal for basically every recruit, and you thought maybe Calipari was done as an ace recruiter, and that Memphis and Penny Hardaway was going to take over that mantle, and instead both of them had kind of just been separately floundering at different for different reasons at different places. He was swiping players. You know, Jeffries had committed to Kentucky
2: and yeah. then decommitted. Same thing with uh, Boogie Ellis, who was committed to Duke, and then he he decommitted and came over to Memphis.
0: No, they had a chance. They had a chance to go out there and build something, but that, that ship has seen like it, seemed like it has sailed. That's why I just wonder what they're waiting on. And with Stackhouse, I mean – he never really got it rolling. I mean, he had the little bit of a run with Scottie Pippen Jr. And you thought maybe it's going to work out. I do think Stackhouse is probably a good X's and O's coach. I don't know if anything at Vanderbilt has proven that, but like, I do feel like he had enough respect in NBA, like G league circles, but I think he's just like, doesn't know how to run a college basketball program and, and recruit and do all those things. And then you go back and he showed some of the thin skin stuff too, where he's threatening fans on Twitter and sliding their DMS and arguing with people. And, that, that's a bad sign. Didn't he create a burner? I've, I don't even know if he had a burner. I think he was just doing it from his own account. And, and I think I think the sign
2: of a good coach, too, is when you're able to do more with less sometimes. And I felt like Stackhouse did some of that last season. I felt he was there. This year, he obviously doesn't have a lot of talent, and he is sinking precipitously. And I don't know. When you're at that level of coaching, Power 5 conference, etc., I think you just expect more. And I don't I don't uh, dispute what you're saying about the X's and O's. I do think he's probably capable there. Uh, uh, Why else would like Barnes and others have so much respect for him? Mm -hmm. I think as a coach, there's probably some respect there, but his ability to run that program,
0: it's not showing at all. It's a, it's a mess. Yeah. It seems like both of those guys, just not long, not long for staying and Stackhouse should be gone any minute and, If I was Penny, I would probably just agree to go somewhere else versus taking the the shame of getting fired. It seems like that would not be worth it for the ego, the hard feelings. Maybe the buyout's nice. I don't know. You could also say the same up in Michigan for Juwan Howard, back at his alma mater. They've won
2: single-digit games so far this year. That's bad.
0: Yeah, the the whole, like, I was really good in the NBA and had a long career. I'm going to coach in college. Mike Woodson, you know, he didn't – I don't think he was good in the NBA. I don't even know if he played in the NBA, but I'm saying he coached in the NBA for a while. But, like, it seems like that model not really being successful in this day of college basketball. Patrick Ewing. Yeah, yeah, Patrick Ewing, yeah. Yeah, him too. Not really going well. No. Chris Mullins, of course, at St. John's back in the day. I wonder if Memphis comes open when they call Rick Patino. Hey, Rick, come on down to the South. You you say those boys up at St. John's are really slow and unathletic, and that's true. But they're fast in the South. They could jump high too. Come coach here. Patino do that in a heartbeat, I bet. Hour two in the books. We'll kick off hour three. What do we got on the schedule for hour three? We got some Tennessee baseball. We got some more basketball news, maybe a couple NFL headlines. Stick with us. It's the morning show on Fan Run Radio.